0: Hi, I'm Sarah Schatz, and you're listening to Kindle Curiosity, a podcast for curious souls where we explore the creative process. This podcast is powered by the Kindle community on Patreon to keep things advert-free. Take a seat by the fire, and let's welcome today's guest. get to today's episode, I have a really exciting announcement. We have a brand new session of Camp Kindle opening, so if you've been thinking about joining Patreon, this is a great time. Camp is a virtual creative retreat that I put together for my Kindles. We have new sessions twice a year, and all the past sessions are archived for patrons of all levels, starting as little as a dollar. And when camp starts, there'll be weekly activities, which could be video craft tutorials, journal prompts, or micro adventures. And all of these add up together to earn a badge. And this session, we're earning the Wonderment badge. So, a lot of the art projects are really free form and embracing serendipity and relinquishing control. We'll also be doing activities like a fairy picnic, roasting s'mores, and a scavenger hunt. Camp Kindle is perfect if you're feeling kind of distant from your creativity, if you'd like a creative jumpstart, or even if you feel like you're not a creative person. So if you enjoy this podcast, you will love Camp Kindle. It's designed for adults, but we have had families participate with their kids, and it's always fun to see how they interpret the prompts. This session is particularly family-friendly, so if you have a bunch of bored kids at your house, this could be the perfect thing for you. We start on July 1st. If you sign up by the end of June, you'll get an early bird bonus, but you can also sign up late. So if you're not listening to this until August or even September, you can still sign up. All of the past sessions are archived online, so patrons can camp at your own pace and you can even earn badges that we did last year. So if this is sparking your curiosity and it sounds like something you're interested in, you can find all the details at CuriousPixie.com. And without any further ado, let's get on to today's episode. Letitia McClough is a gardener, writer, and podcaster. She's author of The Virgin Gardener and Sweet Peace for Summer, and she has an infectious energy for plants. She also has a way of making the world of gardening feel approachable for everyone. Letitia manages her own lovely London garden in just five minutes
1: a day. Welcome, Letitia. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's absolute honor to be on here. Thank you very much for having me. I am so excited to talk with you
0: today and that I was able to get your books all the way from England. Oh, <laughs> what do you think? Has it inspired you? I really wish I'd had them from the very beginning because it felt really intimidating to begin. Yeah, There's such a gap between what people
1: assume that you already know mm. when you actually know nothing. Well, I found that too, you know, and I, and I think that's the reason why I wrote that first book was I wanted to write the book that I that I wish I had had at the beginning. And there is a huge gap. And the reason why is because once you learn a certain amount in gardening and, and you get into it it actually becomes easier to use the latin names and um and and you forget it's you it's so so amazingly fast the speed at which you forget how it felt not to know anything because in gardening you always feel like a beginner or at least i do so it doesn't matter how much i know um i always feel (laughs) <laughs> like the rookie <laughs> in the room
0: because there's always more to learn
1: yes and I think um I think it is very um I can forgive people who forget the people who literally don't know what a perennial is I mean it took me a huge amount of courage <laughs> to put my hand up and ask that simple question and so many people in that room were, were, were glad that I had Asked it. So I find the same with cooking. When I was very first learning
0: to cook from scratch, I would ask questions and people wouldn't really know how they did a thing because they did so much from instinct. Yes. And there was one recipe in particular I wanted to learn from scratch chicken dumplings. Mm. But it wasn't the kind of recipe that you can write down because it was like a pinch of this and a dash of that and things had to be a certain consistency and texture. And what I ended up doing is filming this grandmother teaching her granddaughter how to make these chicken dumplings. (laughs) And so we can both go back and watch the video and see the texture things are supposed to be. And I really think that's the way to document
1: family recipes is by video. It sounds like a very good idea. Absolutely.
0: What you do on Instagram in your Insta stories is video too, which is perfect because we can see
1: exactly what you're doing. I think it's essential because Uh, I don't know gardening is such uh, gardening as in cooking there's so much grey there's there's very little black and white and there are a a squillion different ways to swing a cat Um, and uh, the way I do things isn't It's just one of many, many, many ways. And uh, so I think it is really nice when you can actually show people what you're banging on about. Um, And in real time as well. And that's why I love Instagram. I think it's, uh, for that reason, it's incredibly infectious. Um, There's nowhere to hide. You can't sort of, especially in gardening, (laughs) I mean, you can't prune something and then (laughs) decide you got it wrong and stick it back on again. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You have to say... whoops (laughs) 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 I didn't mean to cut that bit and it and it it makes you human but um yeah it's been a revelation watching other gardeners on Instagram doing things and and actually you know seeing seeing what they're talking about it's a good thing yeah so did you garden growing up god no 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 um I I don't think I sort of even quite went for a walk until I was in my early 20s. Uh, <laughs> I, I've always, I came from London. I was born, born in London and raised in London. And I, yes, I was not the least bit interested in gardening or gardens. Every every garden looked pretty much the same to me. And I couldn't understand. I thought it was a thing old people did, you know. Um, and then, well, what happened was that I was in my uh, 20s and I was living in this flat in West London and I think I probably just had a breakup and I was a bit sad and I looked inside a cupboard I, I used to be a hoarder and I still am I'm terrible I'm terrible I just can't 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 sort of face tidying up um for a long long time anyway I opened this cupboard and the world fell out of it <laughs> I can't tell I was deluged with all this stuff um and I think it was a grand illustration um of 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 the state of my mind at that particular time. Um, and I thought, I'm just going to, I'm just going to clear out this one cupboard. And I think it's it's a bit like five minute gardening, really. It's the first time I really thought to myself, it's okay. I, you know, I don't, I don't have to do the whole thing, but I'm just going to do just this one cupboard or maybe just this corner of this cupboard, you know, and I'm just going to make a start. And um, and once I got over that feeling of overwhelm at the back of the cupboard um, I found an old Christmas stocking which is a terrible thing to admit that I hadn't opened my Christmas stocking but I hadn't and again a grand illustration of of (laughs) my selfish state of mind. Anyway I opened it up and at the bottom there was a mouldy orange and a two pound coin and a packet of sweet pea seeds and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna plant these seeds and then when they don't grow uh, it will just be an illustration of how how terrible my life is and you know it'll just (laughs) it'll just show me how dreadful the the whole thing is and so I went outside and I got myself a mug and I put um, some soil in it and I put the seeds in and below me but they they sprouted and then I thought um Okay, well, that that's uh, that's something quite extraordinary. I hadn't done anything. I knew enough to know that you actually have to have kind of drainage holes in the bottom of a mug. You know, you can't sort of. But I literally, I put the I put the seeds in and then I put the thing under the tap. It was completely saturated, but for, for some reason it it they those seeds decided to sprout. They didn't flower, I have to say. There's the cow- <laughs> it, it wasn't that good, but I think the sprouting of the seeds was enough and I quit my job and I um I signed up for a course in practical horticulture. Um, and I think it was very good for me because it, it was a completely different world and I was able to get away from um, the things that I was doing before, which, you know, I was working in an office. And I think working with soil and um, being outside. Well, it's, it's being proven now. It has extremely therapeutic effects. Um, and uh, and it sort of sprang from there, really. So that was how it all started. Long story, wasn't that? Very long story. Sorry about that.
0: <laughs> so that was my next question. You answered two in one. (laughs) so I'd love to hear a little bit
1: about the course what that was like so it was very overwhelming I would this is the word I'd used to describe that um at first because it was full of wonderful ladies most of them ladies who had large gardens of their own and they wanted to learn a bit about the plants that were in the garden and possibly tell the gardener what to do um and I didn't have a garden I had a balcony so I was extremely lucky that I did have some outside space I had a balcony and a sort of backyard, a tiny backyard, which is the entrance to my flat. I'm, I'm, I'm very thrilled that these, these people sort of took a punt and took me on. Um, and what happened was that we went to visit a lot of gardens and we had lectures with the most wonderful, inspiring people who really knew what they were doing. So I actually got to see people taking cuttings, sowing seeds, all that kind of stuff. And I was given extremely practical solutions for all these types of skills. And I was able to kind of mimic the go home and do it myself a little bit. But in terms of actual gardening, I never, I never got to any soil until february 2010 when i got my first real proper garden um where i could actually dig in the ground um before that i was literally gardening in pots i think that stops a lot of people from starting well i actually think it's a total blessing um because it it takes away option paralysis it's kind of just completely removes that Mm. that problem of you know what shall I plant at the the world is my oyster okay I can only plant in pots that still gives you too much too much choice by the way (laughs) um but it but it does narrow it down a little bit um and I've got uh, this this specific aspect and these specific conditions and um, it's, it's an object lesson in in right plant right place and it's a great it's a great thing so anyone out there with a small space or somewhere that they feel is a restrictive kind of area for gardening and that narrows their options I would say Uh, lucky you and embrace that.
0: I know you also said in your book that you don't believe in
1: green thumbs and black thumbs. (laughs) No, I don't. That's a complete myth. It's all about being uh, interested. You know, you can become good at anything as long as you're interested enough to care. You know, and with 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 gardening, it's really really simple. And people like to like to make out that it's complicated because um, they're embarrassed. You know that they didn't water. It's that simple. You know, just just like water your plants. That's it. <laughs> it's what, one one thing. <laughs> yeah, I get
0: so distracted with other creative projects because I have so many things going that that's the thing. It's like remembering. Until you get into the habit where it becomes part of your routine. And so I started with some very forgiving herbs. Yeah. And I'm lucky to live in a forgiving climate where it rains here. Yeah. And so for the first year, actually, my husband almost killed the herbs at first because he was from Oklahoma. Where you really have to water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, of course super dry.
0: And so we almost drowned them.
1: <laughs> yes, as I was about to say, except for things that don't like too much water and then then you have to you right. have to change your. Um, approach a little bit. But
0: once you learn like you said you know your plant and you mention a lot in your book to notice where they're from. Yeah. Which will tell you
1: a lot about what kind of watering they want. And But you know what it doesn't matter if you kill your plants. You know I think people people don't forgive themselves enough. They're just everyone's so hard on themselves. You know it's like it's as if you know who, who's standing there uh, standing over you saying you've only got one shot at this. You know if if your plant dies well what a great opportunity go out and get another one <laughs> start again right and you've probably learned something about how to take care of it yeah yes and stop beating yourself up you know it's it's not it's not like you killed a person <laughs> it's a plant it probably dropped some seeds before it died you know I love that that was the most magical thing is the second year when the
0: plants started coming up on their own and I was like yeah what
1: is happening amazing isn't it it is and I always think that what you you're talking about there for people that don't know is perennials is what I've first was speaking about um, that I didn't know what it meant and a perennial is something that it retreats underground over winter and then it comes back to surprise and delight to you the next spring and it's it is the most wonderful surprise when you, when you don't know what it is and you're not expecting it and um, you think everything's died a death <laughs> it's the most wonderful thing love it you I have a love affair with perennials and I think they they're the second thing you come on to when you've had your your little flirtation with annuals um, <laughs> you get get onto perennials and you realize that they're the keepers right <laughs> yeah the ones that come back indeed yeah they're, they're the good guys <laughs> the guys you should be dating right
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love how you use all of these metaphors in your books that really help you understand
1: oh. Oh, I don't know. I sometimes the, the rare occasions when I read back my books. Actually, I do. When I say rare occasions, I do sometimes read back because I write a column <laughs> every week, and I actually have to refer back quite a bit sometimes. Anyway, um, sometimes I do cringe a little bit. I got to say, um, about the 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 metaphors and the way I describe things because I was a lot younger then. And it's quite quite a 90s way of writing. I realise how very, very influenced I was by other writers like Nigella Lawson and uh, Nigel Slater, cookbook writers, mm-hmm. other writers of nonfiction. And I can see that I really have a kind of it's sort of like it's kind of osmotic thing, you know, that their style seeped into me and uh, you can you can really read it in my <laughs> in my not as good prose as them <laughs>
0: Well, I think that happens with any creative endeavors. When you look back on something you made several years ago, Mm. it's not what you would make now.
1: No, So. no, but that's okay, you know, and I think I I reread those books. Yes, I cringe slightly, but I'm also fond. I I look fondly on them and it's, you know, there are some things that are really terrible. I really do regret writing about using a particular herbicide, which I shouldn't have done, but I wasn't to know. (laughs) So again, one has to forgive oneself. You move on, right? And luckily, you know, I'm I'm able to. I'm still here, and I'm able to tell people I was wrong. You know, that's true. That's one of the great things about writing a book. Now, is the book doesn't
0: have to be the end. It can actually be the beginning of the conversation. So, going back to something you said earlier about being inspired by cookbooks, I think that really comes through because what you've done is you've really written a cookbook for gardening, which I found really, really approachable um, because some. some. Some of the gardening books I've read before are really dense with information, but the way you have projects or flowers to plant and then a big picture of what you're going for. I think it makes it really
1: easy to kind of dip in and out. That's right. I mean, I wanted to create something that did feel like a, a cookbook and that was project based, because that's what I respond to. I I don't want to have to read an entire book that's going to make me into a gardener. I want little projects that I'm going to have fun with along the way while I'm learning to be a gardener. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's sexier, isn't it? Come on. <laughs> and that's how I that's how I that's how I sold the book to my publisher, you know. And it's still the way that we are. In fact, I had a meeting today with my new publisher and, and it's pretty much still the way that that they at least want me to write um, because it is something that's a lot more accessible than some rambling or very, very factual sort of handbook.
0: Right. The first gardening book I have, it's a really old one. Mm-hmm. It's Victorian. Uh, it's really interesting, but it's dense mm-hmm. it, and it doesn't have as much pictures and stuff because it's antique sure yeah so this was just so much like oh I can do I want to do that I want to find that plant I want to make that thing
1: (laughs) yes yes, absolutely it it got you (laughs) yeah yeah so
0: let's talk a little bit about your writing process
1: yes My writing process. The thing is that I write to deadline. So I've got a a nice job which keeps my hand in. Because as you probably know, I'm a full-time mum as well. So I work from home. So it's made me pretty efficient with my time. And I find that even if i have a long lead time for something my best writing is done pretty much the night before with a glass of wine in my hand and that's just my way that's how i have learned how to do it but i think it only works that way because i've honed that art of doing i do it every single week and what's nice about the work that i do my my regular work for the sunday times is that it's a little column and it's 250 words and a short column is quite a tricky one to write, especially when you've got to get a lot of information in, into it. Um, and so that keeps me practiced. Um, and it it also well, it forces me to take away a lot of fluff. So the way I start, if I've got a blank space in my head or I'd not quite I know I generally know what I'm gonna write about, and then I literally just start, and it's almost like a stream of consciousness it's almost as if you know I'll start with a sentence that I might have read in someone's book that I'm that I'm reading right now you know and then I'll make it sort of about what I'm writing just loosely based around and that's my my favorite way of just getting going that first paragraph will probably go but it gets me started mm. so I don't know is that what you do it is it is is it
0: <laughs> otherwise I stay in my head too long you like you just have to start writing something yeah and once you have something you can edit you can yes. change yeah
1: yes you can't edit a blank page there has to be something down there and so generally that the finish article literally the finished article is going to be the last couple of paragraphs in say four paragraphs that I write so I get into it pretty quickly and then I'm quite fierce about editing it and then I just press send and it's really really it's almost like a sort of business-like thing I do not agonize about it and I remember that when I when I first was asked to write a book I was actually asked to write my first book I didn't pitch it. I didn't write a proposal. I didn't do anything. Somebody asked me to do it. And she said to me, have you ever written a book before? And I said, no. And she said, "Would could you write a book? And I just, a little voice came up from inside of me and said yes yes I can um and I didn't know I honestly didn't know it so it was <laughs> it wasn't a lie but <laughs> it was your intuition yeah it was like you know there was definitely a sense in which I I've just I'm just gonna say yes you know I'm just gonna get, just go and do this and it was not difficult because I gave myself permission to be quite loose with it at the beginning and I very quickly got into a rhythm now writing a book and I'm talking I've never written a fiction book I've written fiction essays and stuff it's not the same a book is like it's like a marathon compared to a jog and it's really about getting to my desk 90% of the effort is getting to my desk do you find that <laughs> I do <laughs> So once I'm on my at my desk, it sounds so jammy, but it just comes out. It just sort of all splurges out. And again, it's that process with writing a book of just get something down. Get it down, get it down, get it down. And when you're interested in something and passionate about something, that thing will just come out, spill out onto the page, and then you've got something to edit. And even if you're left with nothing of what you originally put down onto the page, you know, you've you st- you've you've managed to do it. So Yeah. So that's the process, really. There's no no magic about it. It's it's like yoga. Get on the mat. Mm -hmm. Just get on the mat.
0: (laughs) And so is it a secret or can
1: you tell us what you're working on now? Oh, um, it's 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 not. I can't tell you right now. No, but it's you. You probably guess what it is. (laughs) (laughs) But you are working on something. I'm about to start working on it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> awesome.
0: So how does curiosity play a part in your gardening?
1: Well, gardening is about curiosity, isn't it? It's it's first about thinking, I mean, from that first sweet pea sprout that came up, my first question was, how the bleep, 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 did it do that? <laughs> and so the reason that was the reason why I quit my job and went to gardening school is because I had to know how how that did that Um, and and there was a time and there still is really there still are times when I get quite geeky about the whole thing I'm very into the science of it botany I did a I started but didn't finish a botany course because it it actually was it it got over my head I'm not ashamed to admit there was too much maths that I didn't understand too much chemistry I didn't understand Fan. but the fact remains that i i do read a lot of sort of biology books for dummies and stuff like that um so yes i'm i'm a bit fascinated and i am very curious but Day to day, the curiosity side of it really revolves around looking very deeply into detail. So today I was pinching out some dahlias and I saw some ladybird babies and they were right where I was pinching out. And I realized that they were there because when I would pinched out the little tips, you pinch out tips in order to make the plant go bushy. So to, to stop it reaching for the sky, if you pinch out the tip of the plant, you make the the shoots on the sides go whooshing out instead. So on the tips, I I opened up the tip and I saw loads and loads of tiny little black fly. And I realised that, gosh, well, the the ladybird mum, she knew (laughs) when she put her baby there, she knew that there were going to be black fly there for that ladybird to eat when it, um, as it was growing. And I'm wondering about that now and uh, I'm about to Google that when I <laughs> when I finish this podcast. <laughs> How do they know? How do they know? Yeah, and gardening
0: really makes you slow down and look and be mindful. The whole
1: mindfulness thing is real popular right now. It is, isn't it? I think people think I'm a lot more zen than I am. I was thinking recently about, um, I went to, on, on a little workshop with what's her name, Silver Pebble 2 she's called, she's called Emma. Emma Mitchell. That's right and, um, and she was. She used to be a biologist and she was talking about um, studies which have shown that proximity to the earth and being around green things, I mean, it's about to, that the science is about to prove um, that it changes your brain chemically, I mean it's only a matter of time and it is true, it is exactly like um, it, it will take precisely 10-15 minutes to for me to calm down once I start gardening and it is absolutely true do you feel that when you go out into the garden I think there's something about bare feet on on grass and the smell and yeah I think
0: it it's you and the weeds you know <laughs> <laughs> you have something to focus on that keeps those other thoughts from kind of like coming in. That's how it works for me anyway.
1: For sure. When you're weeding, particularly when you're weeding or when you're um, scrabbling about in the earth looking for, you know, making sure things are tidy. When you're doing the kind of husbandry aspect of gardening, it is amazing how focused you become. And it is like meditation. It is like, you know, wax on, wax off, you know, breathe in, breathe out, that kind of thing. You don't your mind doesn't tend to wander or if it wanders it wanders to to good places so I'm yeah it is you in the weeds
0: I have a lot of well it's grass really yeah because we've made a brand new bed oh yeah and so we did our best to get what we could out before we started Mm -hmm. but I suddenly have a whole new understanding of the term grassroots movement because <laughs> I always thought it meant humble beginnings but no it's like fearsome and mighty <laughs> and underground. Is it cooch I don't know what kind it is but it has these roots and they they keep shooting up. It runs. Yes it's a runner grass.
1: Yeah it's cooch Yeah you have to chase it through the earth. Yes. With a sort of widger thing and it, it's fa- I mean you've got to admire it, right? Right. It's so determined. It's so determined. And it's it's the sort of, that's the sort of way I would like my children to be, you know, just take up space in the world. Yeah. (laughs) If you can't push past people, just go underground and (laughs) sprout up. (laughs) under their feet right I'm like I thought I weeded this where
0: did you come from but yes
1: I agree with you and you there's no such thing as a weed is there it's about it's something it's 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 just about keeping a balance
0: yeah I love the flowers that are considered weeds I keep
1: planting them like forget-me-nots and yeah beautiful oh god but those are useful weeds you see forget-me-nots don't they don't they spread themselves about but in a very polite way don't they? Very polite. And, and if you don't want them, you can easily pull them out. The, the cooch grass is, is a little bit more... Yeah,
0: more intense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is the enemy. It is the enemy. <laughs> what are you planting in your bed?
0: Oh, well, so I started with herbs a few years ago and they're in the back and we're, we've just finished the bed for flowers. Mm-hmm. So I have... Russian sage, mm. daffodils, Lovely. hyacinth, and I had some foxglove. Lovely. And I've planted a bunch of seeds cool. that have sprouted, <gasps> and I, I hope they flower. What are your seeds? Again, with the weed, wildflower type seeds, I have chicory. Lovely. Chamomile, bachelor button. What's bachelor button? Never heard of it. Um, what else? Cornflower.
1: Oh, Yes beautiful yeah it has so many names it's a really bachelor button that's a lovely name
0: I love all the old-fashioned names I
1: can just imagine a sexy kind of Hugh Grant bachelor with a cornflower in his buttonhole that's wonderful I love it
0: And let's see what else, Um, hollyhock and larkspur. Wonderful. And then some white echinacea and that's (gasps) most of it. So very cottagey. Yes, yes. I visited, you know, I went to school in London Mm -hmm. and I visited, you know, Stratford-upon-Avon and the cottages and I wanted to bring some
1: of that home here. Yes, and you should. So that's the vision. I think it's nice to bring different parts of your life experience, things to remember, uh, Past times by very nice to create a tapestry of memories. Yeah, in your garden.
0: Yeah, I I even planted a few bluebells. So yeah, it's nothing like walking through a bluebell forest,
1: but it will be. Yeah, yeah, and that's the loveliness of it. Really, is that trees you've got to plant for your grandchildren, but you know you you are thinking a little bit more long term than with anything else with planting a garden. So it's quite nice just to sit back and say, I'm cu- I'm cool with being patient on this one. Right. And it's amazing how quickly your brain and your patience turns into something much more flexible. It just becomes elastic um, because things seem to start happening so fast when in fact, in your previous life, before you were doing gardening, before you were doing... A- you would have thought oh god this is taking forever you know this thing today and in fact once you get you get into gardening um it all goes too fast <laughs> suddenly things have grown up and you can't believe three years have whizzed by yeah it stretches and contracts time in, a, in the strangest way
0: Yeah, I definitely noticed the seasons more. Yes. Now. Yeah. After undergrad, I worked in the theater. Yeah. Where you're inside in the dark (laughs) for hours at a time. Oh, my God. You never see the sun. Like being in jail. Kind of. (laughs) And so this is like, wow, look at at all this life that's around me. (laughs) Oh, God. So let's talk about your five-minute garden philosophy.
1: Yeah. So that's really, I mean, I started it just to keep myself accountable, really, I suppose. I'll tell you the preamble to this is that after I had my first kid, two other kids came four years later. And the garden that I had sort of designed and, uh, and made when I just had one child got away from me. It truly got away from me. it. It was totally overwhelmed. So by the time the third child came along, it was like jungle, and you know, I was supposed to be this, you know, gardener person. <laughs> so embarrassing, and I kind of got away with it for a few years, saying, "Oh, like well, I like the, I, I like this sort of, you know, ravaged look." <laughs> But basically, the reason why it got like that was because I was I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. I was a I was a mother that wasn't frightfully good at you know juggling things. Um, and uh, I was doing this kind of thing of like, oh, the garden needs sorting. I'll 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 devote a, an entire day, um, this month. I'll do it. I'll do it the whole lot on Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah,
0: I have a bad tendency to do that. Right. And so I'm finding your five minute garden experiment very inspiring because I have been doing the
1: same right so so that was that clearly wasn't working because you devote an entire day and it's it overwhelms you it overwhelms you you look at it means when you've got a whole day to garden you don't know where to start you're looking at the whole garden and thinking where am I going to start uh what am I going to do uh this needs doing first you get distracted by all this stuff and in the end you just go in and have a cup of tea (laughs) or maybe you just buy a pizza and sit in front of the telly do you know what I mean yeah so that didn't work for me for some people that that way of working is fine but it didn't work for me so then I redesigned the garden we were going to have the an extension done on the house and I decided to redesign the garden so that it was manageable for me so that was step one and step two was maintaining that that redesigned garden it had fewer flowers and it had um, more repeat repetition of those flowers Um, but I decided that I was going to do five minutes a day and I put it on Instagram because I needed to stay accountable to that commitment because I knew that this could easily happen again because I am that person I am that person I mean I'm going to tell you a story right I once Opened a cupboard and I found inside it an envelope from seven years previous that I hadn't opened, and inside that envelope was a cheque for seven hundred pounds. <laughs> okay, so like that—that's who I am, right? Okay, so I need—I need five minutes a day. I need—I need a sort of structure, and it really caught on. I think a lot of people are like me. They may not want to admit to uh, losing seven hundred pounds, but <laughs> being that stupid, but. Um, but yeah I think a lot of people are like me and five minutes a day goes with the with the second kind of the adjunct to that is start at the back door okay so the first thing you walk into that needs doing just do that so whatever it is even if it's right at the end of the day and you got your glass of wine you come back from a party and you're wearing your high heels go out and do your five minutes. Do whatever it takes. Do do Tie in one tendril. Yank out one weed. You know, uh, I don't know, snip off one dead head. That's it. You know, and just be in your garden. It's really about being in your garden. The doing comes very, very easily once you get yourself out there, you know.
0: Yeah, I found the same. It's like with writing. Get to
1: your desk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. Um, And, uh, you know, you can apply it to any area of your life that that you feel is important. I I wouldn't say do it for ironing, though, or anything like that. But something that brings you joy and you don't find you get enough of, yes, five minutes a day is a good thing to do.
0: (laughs) So, while I have you here, kind of pick your brain a little bit. Okay. About deadheading. Yes. So, I, like I said, I started with herbs, and a lot of this is transferring to the flowers. I'm finding mm-hmm. there's some universal truths about plants. Mm-hmm. So, I know more than I thought I did. And I know with my herbs, I want to cut off the little buds as soon as they appear so they keep making leaves. Yeah. So, where's the balance for that with flowers? And do all flowers need to be deadheaded or just certain ones?
1: Well, again, you know, I'm not an expert, but um, it's very much about using your intuition. And I would, there's a general truth about this, which is that plants make flowers in order to produce seed. And once they produce that seed, they then, why would they bother making any more flowers, right? So if you kind of fake an attack on them, you remove their flower before it makes a seed, then that plant will try and make more flowers and that's generally true for for all plants obviously there are loads and loads of plants that you wouldn't even bother deadheading because <laughs> the flowers are too small or because it just, you know, doesn't work like clematis, for example, or whatever. But generally, for plants that you have in your garden, plants in your flower bed, and the ones that you want to see more of, perennials, deadhead away. Mm-hmm. Or even just chop the whole lot off in wildfowl swoop. I'm about that, I'm about to do that to a big cloud of geraniums. Chop it all down, give it a haircut. Give it a feed and a water, and it'll give you a second flush. They call it a flush. A flush. a flush so with herbs uh you definitely don't want them flowering right you want the leaves don't you right so um so you you, any sign of a flower that that's actually a sign of you know something like parsley or coriander or something that's that that's a sign of something called bolting needs water and it needs that flower removed because otherwise your leaves will get bitter Mm -hmm. you don't want that do you no no she says (laughs) no
0: bitterness in the garden
1: (laughs) no but again I'm what I come back to is you know just if it it takes a a year or two just watching just watch and see take off half the flower chop off half the flowers of one billowing mass and see what happens and you will use it as an experiment and you'll see yeah um, you'll see that 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 half will come back or maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't like being chopped. It doesn't matter. You're not, gonna, you're very unlikely to kill a plant yeah. by doing a bit of chopping. And I think people don't trust their intuition enough when they're gardening. And again, I'll come back to this. Um, if you get it wrong, who cares? You learned something, you know, don't be, don't, don't be sad. Just, just do, just make a mistake. I mean... What is that thing about comfort zones? I don't know. You 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 make mistakes out of your comfort zone, but that is where the magic happens, isn't it?
0: Did you see Did you see a YouTube video about that
1: today? No, I haven't watched any YouTube today. Don't worry, I'll get my YouTube in later. I've been watching things about bullet journals. I love watching YouTube bullet journals. It makes me go to sleep at night. I love it. Do you bullet
0: journal? I think I tried once. I I like journals and. In- Uh, notebooks and stuff but something about the bullet journal
1: Mm. just didn't stick Mm. I love it in fact I'm thinking about sharing my bullet journal because it's change the way I do things so much
0: yeah people love it I don't know if I didn't stick with it long enough to find the love or if I'm just not the person to do it that way
1: I think it's wonderful because it's one book for everything like I can't be dealing with like five different books for five different areas of my life I need just everything in one book yeah Um, maybe
0: I have a notebook addiction is my problem (laughs) yes so I like all
1: the books. Yeah, you need—you just need to have all of the books, don't you?
0: You know the gratitude journal, the yes, planner. Yes, yeah, I
1: get it. No, I do. I do understand. Just a whole stack. <laughs> Yeah, I I know the feel feeling. Yeah. yeah, maybe when I'm a mom, I won't be able to handle that anymore and I'll need to pare it down. God knows, I don't know how. It's so, um, so many different ways of doing it, aren't there? But yeah, I like having everything in one book.
0: So speaking of being a parent, I like to ask, I'm not a parent yet, mm. but did becoming a mom change your view of creativity
1: at all? Yes, it changed absolutely everything about my view of creativity. Before I was a mother, I would spend so much time staring out of the window gathering my thoughts before I ever put anything down and that was a luxury I didn't have when I became a mother and you know what it, it didn't make the blindest bit of difference in fact what my first book was written before I had children and my second book was written after I had children they both took not very long except that the first book had about the same amount of time as I was writing it had just thinking and whiling away the hours being anxious about it
0: so what else other than gardening what else fascinates you
1: other people fascinate me. I spend a lot. I'm I'm very nosy. I have huge I have a huge number of interests other than gardening. Um, I love I love cooking. I love uh, interiors. I love crafting. I love embroidery and <laughs> knitting and all those things that I'm going to get back into um journaling um I love sitting if I if I had time I would just sit in a public place and watch people yeah doing things and imagine what they're saying to each other um that I'm just nosy yeah so much fascinates me um right now where I am at the moment other mothers and how they organize themselves fascinates me because you know I obviously need help in that area (laughs) um but I would love to do there's a million different things I would love to do you know I meet someone at a dinner party like the other night I met a surgeon and I thought god you know in another life that would be so fascinating to do and I'm at that stage of my life where you know uh, gone are the days when I think oh I could do that you know <laughs> I could I could I could tra- I could retrain <laughs> yeah it's not gonna happen anymore so um yeah, I'm I'm becoming very, very painfully aware of my own mortality right now. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? You know, I do find it fascinating. I love the idea of being able to sort of open somebody up and then like look inside and take out bad bits and put in good bits. And that is just extraordinary to me. So
0: if you'd met him instead of finding the stocking with the seeds, you might be a surgeon right now. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you the other thing that fascinates me is I love true crime. I've got quite a gory sense of yeah, my sensibility, and I I, I love listening to true crime. I find that totally fun, And police investigations fascinate me, and I do listen to a lot of podcasts while I'm gardening. True crime podcasts. I'm a real true crime geek. So let's talk about your podcast before we wrap everything up. Oh yes. My podcast is called The Virgin Gardener Podcast, and I do it with my great friend Andrew, who I met online. Line. And I just said to him one day, don't you think we should do a podcast together? Because everyone else is doing it. Like we should do one. <laughs> Ours will be better. <laughs> and he was like yeah let's do it so we we it's it's a bit like pissing in the wind sometimes because you obviously you don't get apart from the feedback that you get from people on online you don't actually know how many people are listening at all
0: yeah it's so weird it's the quietest thing i've ever created
1: yeah but it's also a real joy to do i love podcasts i love i did it because i don't have time to read blogs i only really listen to podcasts so i thought well you know, there's no point in me blogging if I don't read other blogs. <laughs> uh, I do blog a little bit, but um but I think podcasts are the way forward personally you know
0: yeah because you can do them while you're cooking or exactly
1: cleaning the dishes or in the garden and we've done three so far and we absolutely love it it's time consuming and it's a little bit scary technically (laughs) I find but luckily I have an amazing partner who 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 helps me with that so my podcast partner Andrew So, yeah.
0: I am really enjoying it. It's one of the few that I have been able to keep up with as I have been recording this. Good. So it's, you're so funny. Oh, well, thank you. I love (laughs) that the tone of it. It's a lot of gardening stuff can be really serious.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, life is fun, isn't it? Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's nice to, it's nice to chat. Yeah. You know, we're as freelance journalists or bloggers, we're all at home writing a lot. Um, we don't get too much time to chat. And then you add in the fact that you're a parent and y- you might not talk to anyone for days apart from children. And you're only saying, put your pants on to them, <laughs> you know? So it's really nice to have a good old chinwag with another adult. Yeah. <laughs>
0: If someone wanted to dabble in
1: gardening for the first time, where would they start? At your back door, if you've got a piece of earth. Have a look and see what's growing in it. I think watch first. Watch and wait. If you've inherited a garden or a piece of land, watch and wait for the first year. Just try not to rush into anything. For God's sake, don't drop anything down unless you absolutely know. Unless you absolutely hate it. Just watch and see what goes on first but I think I'm trying to think of a fun practical project for someone that's never done any gardening before and I've got to be inclusive and think about those people that don't actually have a garden and I think most people have a windowsill so perhaps perhaps plant some herbs just the herbs that you enjoy cooking with and see what they do some herbs are annuals some are perennials some are shrubs some are substrubs and you'll learn a lot just from planting herbs. Yeah. You'll learn, you know, all that sort of different stuff.
0: That's where I started. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, you go. it's a good place to start.
0: <laughs> well, you know, once you grow something and you eat it, there's something really kind of empowering about that.
1: Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that gets most people going. And there's something so wonderful about I mean, honestly, I think that the only thing that separates top chef cooking from other people's cooking is lashings of herbs. You know, chefy people, they just put lashings of herbs on top and it always looks Yeah. It was Jamie Oliver. Yeah,
0: that yeah. inspired me to start the garden because he's always using these fresh herbs and we don't live in london we can't get yeah all that stuff at the supermarket sometimes and so i was like well i guess i'll try to grow a basil plant
1: yeah so my friend mark diacono who runs the britain's first climate change farm it's called otter farm um he he names herbs as um he calls them transformers and they really are you can you can lift any food out of the ordinary and into the sublime just by adding the right herb so uh, yeah it, it really is a complete joy joy giver yeah herbs for the win great place to start
0: <laughs> I think we already know the answer to this but where is the best place to connect with you online
1: oh uh, well I lurk on Instagram really or you can email me via my newsletter or just message me via Instagram I don't really go near Facebook sadly it's just too much yeah or my website just go to my website and email me yeah easy
0: and I'll put all the links (laughs) to those in the show notes
1: and thank you so much this has been awesome oh thank you so much for having me Sarah it's been an absolute pleasure
0: That's it for today's episode, and I hope to see you at camp. You can find the show notes and a link to Camp Kindle at kindlecuriosity.com. And a big, big thanks to all of my patrons for your support and for making this podcast advert-free.